Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. We've all heard the expression, strike while the iron is hot. That's where Israel was. They were on the verge of the promised land, but God gave them a holy pause so that he could remind them of the covenant and the promises he made with them. two of Cheryl's message titled, A Holy Pause. Two of the greatest kings have already been defeated, Og and Sihon, the giant kings with the giant soldiers. Miraculously, they have crossed the Jordan. God has held back the waters and made a way. The troops of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, 40,000 men are armed and ready to fight For the promises of God. They can see Jericho in their sights. And they know that fear has gripped the occupants of the land promised them. Rahab, who lives in Jericho, testified to the disposition of the people of the land that they were faint-hearted, filled with terror, hearts melted, courage disappeared. And that was before the renowned crossing of the Jordan. That's before this present miracle that they saw. It is now known an absolute truth resounding through all of Canaan that God is on Israel's side and he is bringing his people into the land of promise. Presently, the people of the land, we're talking the big guys, the king of the Amorites, kings of the Canaanites, those who live on the west side of Jordan, they're hearing about what God has just done with the Jordan River and their hearts are melting and their spirits are no longer in them. They are terrified. They've lost the sense of fight. We've all heard the expression, strike while the iron's hot. And that's what they want to do. The iron is hot. It's a time to strike. It seems like the time is now. This is the present atmosphere of Joshua 5, 1. And you'll get to verse 2 of Joshua 5. And what does God do? He hits the holy pause button. He wants to renew the covenant with Israel. Purification and healing before they go forward. Holy pause. He wants them to rejoice in the Passover and reflect on all he has done since Egypt. Holy pause. He wants them to recognize the changes in their lives. No more manna. Now they will eat the produce of the land. Holy pause. He wants them to recognize his presence in their lives as commander of the armies of the Lord. Holy pause. So what do we see that this holy pause is first for? It's first for 
a renewal of the covenant, Joshua 5, 2 through 9. The people needed to reacquaint themselves with who they were. They were the children of Abraham, heirs of the promises given to Abraham. And they needed to identify with the one who originally received the promise to the land, their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham. And they needed to have this same sign of the covenant. This sign, this act would remind them of who they were, but also why they were receiving the promises. They were receiving the promises because of God's promises to Abraham, because of God's goodness, because he loved Abraham, because of God's faithfulness to his promises, to his people, to his friend, Abraham. It would remind them of where they were, that they were actually in the land of promise, the same land that Abraham walked in, the same land where God said, Abraham, wherever the sole of your feet touch, I will give to you and to your descendants after you. Their renewal also included remembering the miracle and miracles that God had done. They needed to respond to God's promise personally. They needed to personally enter into this covenant with God, the covenant of their fathers, the covenant of Abraham, because the promises are only in the covenant. Just as today, all the promises of God are in Christ. There are no promises outside of Christ. All the promises are through Jesus. They needed to be refined. They needed to have part of their flesh or that sinful nature cut off. In John 15, 2, Jesus said that everyone who comes to him, his father prunes so that the person who comes to Christ might bear more fruit. He wounds us that we may enter his promises and so that we can be productive and even more productive in the promises he gives us. The people needed to heal. You know, there is a recovery time from pruning. In fact, I've been told that plants actually go into a kind of shock when they're pruned. And I'm sure these men who were circumcised were in kind of a state of shock. But, you know, pruning is a shock to your plant. I remember we had these beautiful potato plants in our front yard, and they gotten some kind of weird fungus on them. And I cut them back so much. I, I cut them back till they were just about two feet high, and they've been huge. And Brian says, I'm sure you killed them. You really killed them. And I said, no, I read the book. I did it at the right time in the right way. But they were so full of fungus. I had to cut them till there was not one blossom, not one leaf, not one even little twig branch on those things. I had to completely prune them. But by that spring, they were more beautiful and healthier than they had ever been before. But they took all of winter to recover and they needed that time to recover. So after Israel had cut away this foreskin, they needed to heal. God's refinement always requires a time of healing. We often need to recognize what was pruned and why it was pruned and what it means. 
There was a need of a physical healing, but often when we're pruned, we need a mental healing, an emotional healing, and even a spiritual healing. I have a friend who's a nurse, and she said to me, nothing aids healing like rest. The greatest thing you can do to heal is rest. David said in Psalm 23, verse 2, that God, his great shepherd, makes him lie down in green pastures. It's a forced rest or a forced pause. These men had been born in the wilderness and they hadn't yet been circumcised. The circumcision time had not been right or the time for pruning. There was a special time set aside for this refining and for this healing. And God knows when that time is right and it requires a holy pause. Those who had been circumcised were circumcised in Egypt, but they had died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. The men that came out of Israel, still, even though they were circumcised, still had Egypt in their blood. And so the men who had walked through the wilderness, they still lived as if they were slaves to Egypt. They never fully embraced the call of God on their lives. Though they were miraculously delivered from Egypt, sustained with manna, received water from rocks, given the law and tabernacle, organized into a nation, divinely sustained, in their hearts, they kept thinking about Egypt. They still saw themselves as slaves to Egypt. And at times they longed to return to Egypt because of the food, the land, the lifestyle, and what was familiar to them. Now a whole new generation has been born and grown up in the wilderness and they don't know Egypt. They don't remember, they they have nothing to recall Egypt, no remembrance, old things are passed away, no memory, no longing for Egypt, it's completely gone and they no longer identify themselves as slaves. And so God hits the holy pause button to allow them time to refine, heal, and redefine them as the covenant people of God. And he uses this time to completely roll away the reproach of Egypt. You see, God will call call for a holy pause in your life because maybe you're not defining yourself in the right way. Maybe you still think of yourself as that person outside of Christ before the promises. And that can interfere with receiving the promises. And there needs to be a redefining of who you are as a child of God in the covenant by Jesus Christ. Next in Joshua 5.10, we read that the holy pause button was pressed in order to give them a time of reflection and celebration. Before going further, they needed to celebrate the Passover It was the anniversary of their deliverance from Egypt. Anniversaries are always a time of reflection. I know that when Brian and I have celebrate our anniversaries, we go out and we talk about when we dated and how we first met each other, what first attracted us to each other, how all the things that we've survived, like our four children. 
So with Israel, they were to remember how God called them, brought them together that incredible night when the angel of death passed over their houses because they were marked by the blood of the lamb. And forever this was to be in the remembrance of the children of Israel. They were to reflect on it, God's deliverance. They were to tell the story, especially to those who had not lived through it because they were gone. But these were the children of those who had experienced it. And it was now their story to tell. The history was not to be lost. I know that I love to tell my dad and my mom's stories, my grandma and my grandpa's stories. That's part of my history. That's, that's part of who I am and how God has worked in my family's life. And I love to pass it down to my children. You know, I don't have money. I don't have possessions to pass on to my children, but I have the heritage of faith. And I can pass on these faith stories to my children so they're not lost. And it helps to identify and define my children so they know who they are. They get this sense of security. This is who you are. You're part of these stories of faith. You were prayed for before you even existed. You were thought about. They were to eat the food of the land to understand a little bit of this is part of the promise that God is bringing you into. They were to kill the lamb and remember the lamb that was slain. They were to eat the bitter herbs to remember their bondage in Egypt. And they were to take the wine to remember the promises of God and where they were now. And then they were to sing songs at Passover. At one of the songs they sang is found in Exodus chapter 15. Let me read that song to you. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider are thrown into the sea. It's a ballad. It's one of those songs that just reminds you of everything that God has done. And he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sink to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sink like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. 
The chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be still a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Exodus 15, 1 through 18. Would that not bless them? As they remembered what God had promised this prophecy, and as they realized that they were living it out, they were the fulfillment already of the promises of God. And know that as God had been faithful thus far, he would be faithful. Imagine the confidence this song would bring to those who had just renewed the covenant with God. Isn't that worth pausing for? Isn't that worth pausing for? They were to celebrate God's power, God's mercy, God's work, the plagues on Egypt, the miraculous deliverance on the Passover night, the parting of the Red Sea, the water from rocks, the manna that daily came, the cloud by day, the pillar by night, the constant guidance, the constant protection, the sustainment, 40 years where other men could not last a week. They were to celebrate God's promises. Every remembrance of God is a promise for the future. His path deliverance is a promise of future deliverance. His past victory in our lives is a promise of future victory. His past provision is a promise of future provision. His past faithfulness is a promise of future faithfulness. His past guidance is a promise of future guidance. His past protection is a promise of future protection. His past sustenance is a promise that he will sustain us in the future. We need that holy pause to reflect on these things and to celebrate. Israel needed this holy pause to reflect and celebrate all that God had done thus far to secure their dependency on God, strengthen their faith, and excite them for the future. A holy pause to enjoy the blessings of God, Joshua 5, 11 through 12. The Passover was the very last time manna would be included in their diet. Having passed over Jordan into the land of promise, they now had the first taste of the promises of a God. They were eating it. They were eating the produce of the land. Remember, they were promised a land full of milk and honey. These are agricultural terms. It tells you that there's bees who are cross-pollinating So we have produce. It tells you that the grass is rich, so the cows are eating to their fill and being able to produce lots and lots of milk. So they ate unleavened bread from the fields of wheat in Israel. They did parched or roasted grain, kind of like popcorn from the plains. Somebody said, this reminds me of Thanksgiving. And yes, it was eating the first harvest of the land that God had promised. And it was this same day that the manna ceased. But they were to realize that though God had provided 40 years through manna, he was still the one in charge of the provision. But now he was going to do it in a new way by blessing 
the crops, by blessing the land, by blessing the weather, giving them rain. They needed to get used to the new diet and the new flavors that they would live by. They needed to enjoy the food. They needed to try out new recipes, to learn new ways of preparing it. Think about it, 40 years of doing nothing but manna, and you know, a little bit of steak and lamb every once in a while, but mainly manna. And now they're like, wait, wait, I know my mom had a recipe for this stuff. I gotta look it up. Gotta remember how to make it. But they also had to let their digestive tract and appetite catch up with the change. A holy pause. They needed to pause and reflect on the changes in their life. Israel's lifestyle would now be totally different as represented by the food. This was the foretaste of change from nomads to city dwellers, from gathering manna every morning to working the land, from traveling as a huge company to living with their tribe and settling in villages. This is the last time they would all be together as the nation of Israel, camping together. The camping trip is almost over and everyone's gonna go to their separate areas. You know, it's like that Christmas when all my, four of my kids, and I think back to those Christmases when it seemed like we'd always be together, that it would just be, you know, they were young and, you know, just the way the dynamics of the family were. I never foresaw a day or a time when Christmas wouldn't be like that. There's a need to adjust to the changes. Because if we don't adjust to the changes, we'll always be looking to the past, right? We won't embrace what we have and the goodness and the joy that we have. I remember my first Christmas that was different. And I might've told you this, but we were living in England and we couldn't afford to go home for Christmas. It was our first year out on the mission field. We bought a Christmas tree, but we didn't know that you don't put Christmas trees in front of the radiator because they dry out and the needles turn brown and rain down on all your presents. We didn't have enough money for Christmas presents, so um, we went to the pound store where everything is just a pound and everyone got five presents because that's all we had was five pounds per child. And yet it turned out to be one of the tenderest, sweetest Christmases. The next year we're like, we can't have another Christmas like that because it was a little Charlie Brownish. And so we invited anyone in our church in London who didn't have a place to go for Christmas to come to our house and to bring a present that was under five pounds. That way we knew our children would get something. Just kidding. So we, we had all these people come and I made all this food. And I remember my kids remarking, and it was the first Christmas without uh, my oldest daughter there. And the other kids said, wow, I didn't think Christmas could be this good. I, I didn't think that God could bless it like this. We had so much fun. But you see, we need that holy pause or we won't embrace and appreciate what we have and what God is doing. They needed to pause and become accustomed to the change. Sometimes a change is thrust upon us and we don't have the time to simply process it or adjust. Change that happens too quickly can have adverse effects on progress and personalities. So God gives us holy pauses so we can adjust and begin to process so we can embrace and enjoy. Now, 
This holy pause was also to redirect their cause, direction, and power source. In Joshua 5, 13 through 15, Joshua is walking in the fields near Jericho when he suddenly sees a great soldier with his sword drawn. Now a drawn sword was the commander's sign to go forward into battle. And perhaps you've seen it in some of the old movies where they bring out their sword and they say, yeah, it's the same thing you say when you go shopping at South Coast Plaza, charge. You know, men do it with swords, we do it with credit cards. Charge. Sorry. But a drawn sword was the commander's sign to go for it. And Joshua immediately was alarmed at this sight. God allowed Israel to pause so that they could remember and celebrate the promises given to them. Every remembrance of God is a promise for the future. His past deliverance is a promise of future deliverance. His past victory in our lives is a promise of future victory. Israel needed this holy pause to reflect and celebrate all that God had done thus far to secure their dependency on Him, strengthen their faith, and excite them for the future. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll finish our look at Israel's holy pause as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.